A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Oh, it's all starting to feel a little real for all you Liverpool fans listening. This mythical idea of a quadruple could maybe actually happen. There's an FA Cup final to come against a Chelsea team whose form has been fluctuating wildly in the last few weeks. A very, very winnable Champions League semi-final. Let's talk about all you need six. Is one little tiny slip from Man City who look like they're running on fumes a little bit. After an exhausting week, you never know. You never know. Welcome to your Bank Holiday Monday second captain's football podcast. Hey, Kenny. Oh, and how are you? Next up for Liverpool is Manchester United in the league tomorrow night at Old Trafford. And there there are also loads of matches across Wednesday and Thursday as well. So we're going to have plenty of coverage throughout the week for our World Service members. We've also got Shane Horgan and Andrew Trimble tomorrow on what turned out to be a masterstroke of having two-legged last 16 Champions Cup matches. The GAA Championships are ramping up as well. So there's lots to be keeping our members going with over the next few days. If you want to be part of all that, you know what to do. Go to secondcaptains.com. Have a little look at joining us for only five euro a month. Plus, Vat, John Bruin and Jack Pitbrook have been chatting to you today, Ken. We will hear that chat after your report on sport. Yeah, I mentioned the Premier League, Ken, but it was it was time for the FA Cup to take its place at centre stage over the weekend. Um, Chelsea, not surprisingly, beating Palace. But what did you make of Liverpool? I mean, I, I suppose City fought back and all that kind of stuff, but to be 3-0 up at half-time against Manchester City was absolutely extraordinary stuff. Yeah, I mean, you say that City fought back, but I didn't feel like they really did. You know, like I, I actually didn't feel like the game was was in doubt at any moment after um, Mane tackled the ball into the for the second goal. Yeah. You know, I thought that was, okay, well, that's that. Because, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably a bit much. At, at that time, there still was time for Man City to to get it together, but they never looked like doing that. You know, I thought that there was kind of complete domination by Liverpool of the rest of that half, you know, which was ultimately capped by that uh, brilliant third goal. And it was 3-0 halftime, and that was that really was game over. So then they came out in the second half, City got one back immediately. And I think the scoreline at the end, 3-2, doesn't look that bad, but re- realistically, I don't think they were ever really within, within um, snatching distance of this result. Which is, the first half was absolutely 
bizarre. I have to be, I have to confess, I wasn't watching it live, Ken, because I was covering the race for the Champions League on Premier Sports. Mm. So you're just seeing these this this scoreline coming in, and it's just. Uh, you know, it's just not what anyone was expecting. Was it just like a hangover from the? Were as I mentioned, were City just a little bit exhausted from the their exploits in Atletico or in Madrid? I should say against Atletico. Is that taking taking too much credit away from Liverpool for what? No, was I think I think that's completely it. You know, like I mean, first of all, City made a bunch of changes. You know, there was you know huge players. Obviously, Ederson most most notably in the circumstances of that game, De Bruyne on the bench, Rodri on the bench. Uh, you know, these are these are massive players for Man City. You know, without if you take De Bruyne and Rodri out of the team, it's not going to be the same. Mm. You know that that they, these guys have the ability to. It's it's when you talk about City controlling the midfield in a game, it's because of those players that they're doing it. And when you take them out, yeah, you know. Um, when, especially when you're up against a team like Liverpool, I mean, maybe maybe it would have been enough for for Man City to to beat Norwich still handily enough. I, I'd say it probably would, but uh, in this case, they weren't really able to to cope with what Liverpool were throwing at them. And Liverpool, I think, had, came at it with a very um, with a deliberate strategy of trying to win the game in the first half. You know, that, I think that was their that was their own uh, approach to the the problem of you know limited energy it was like let's try and win this Let, let's just let's just throw everything we have at City nothing, nothing revolutionary about that we, we give both these teams praise for taking tactics to higher levels than we've ever seen before but go out there lads and win it in the first half isn't well, the first time i've heard that yeah, you know i mean it's 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 something maybe for for diego Simeone to look at maybe something he could study over the summer you know the first half <laughs> and the second half are equal you know in terms of uh, <laughs> what you the goals you score count for the same. You know, there's no extra weighting given given the goals that you score in the last three minutes compared to the first three. So, um, you know, I I do feel as though they knew that City had that that game. Um, I mean, the the game obviously left them with injuries to Walker and De Bruyne, and Walk, Walker being one of the one of the kind of real energy sources in the team, mm. uh, one of the strongest players in the team. You know, he's not there. De Bruyne, obviously, the, the kind of main man. De Bruyne, uh, also a very important player, despite what Diego Torres had to say. Yeah. World Service members heard you outline last week. Unbelievable. Like, trans- in, in transcendental games, it doesn't. he doesn't do it in transcendental games. Like, I mean, what was it? What about when he was trampling on Real Madrid uh, when when Man City came up against them in the, in the 2020, was it the 2020 competition? Uh, De Bruyne put them away pretty easily. Against PSG, oh, look, I, I'm not going to defend Kevin De Bruyne. I think De Bruyne is a damn good player, and I think Man City missed him. Uh, I mean, maybe could he have played? I mean, Guardiola made a point. Look, the the point was that he's got stitches, and they were risking a worse injury to him if they used him. And they have a very clear prior list of priorities, which is the league is more important than the cup. And while it hurts to lose this game. It's a risk we're prepared to take if you know we can if it if it if it reduces the chance of something happening which might um, which might really affect us badly in the league. Is that the same logic though for playing Stefan and goal, or is that more of a bit of loyalty and trying to keep the squad spirit going by sticking with your domestic cup goalkeeper, which you yeah. don't have to do. Lots of lots of clubs. No change as they get into the later rounds but you think it was loyalty or it was just to give Edison a break I think it's just a mistake yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a mistake you know uh, he, he shouldn't have um, he shouldn't have done it 
uh, it's it, whatever about resting to brought, you know, husbanding your resources, giving Rodri a rest. Um, you know, I, I, I can completely understand the logic of that. You've got, you've, you, you have to accept this is a real limitation on what you can do. You know, when the games are coming so fast, you're more midweek games this week. You can't, you can't sort of sack off any of these games. Um, but Ederson could have played. <laughs> and if Ederson had played, then I don't think they can see that. Certainly, I don't think I don't see them conceding that second goal. He might do better in the first goal as well because it was a strange sort of goal. I mean, I know Kanade has got a great record here. I mean, he scored three. He's he's done this three times in the last three matches, which is phenomenal. Um, still, though, there was just something a bit easy about the way the ball <laughs> sailed into the middle of the That's goal. That's because I, I also saw Stefan getting criticised for the third goal, which maybe I haven't looked at closely enough. It yeah. seemed like a really good finish. But I so he's wouldn't getting, criticise yeah, him yeah. for that. No. Because, well, just purely because the ball took such an unexpected path off Mane's boot. I mean, did he hit it right? I mean, it was a particular kind of strike, you know, where you, where you hit the ball with the hit the ball with the outside of the foot, you can sort of... But it just seemed as though... I mean, first of all, the ball went very fast right into the bottom corner of the goal. That is often going to be a goal. <laughs> I know that goalkeepers always get criticised. Just automatic, You automatically get criticised if the ball goes in at what happens to be your near post. But it wasn't really that near. I mean, the ball came across. Manny hit it first time. He hit it with quite a lot of pace and it flashed into the bottom corner. I, I don't think Aderson would save that either. Mm. But maybe he would... You know, put a hand in the way that the the first you know the first goal just seemed a little bit easy, uh, and the second goal obviously was was a total disaster. I mean, oh. you can see that the, the slow motion replay revealed so much. I mean, first of all, the little dab with the foot that doesn't touch the ball. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. he had a little dab, and the ball just and it just and then he's immediately thinking, oh no. But by then it's already too late and he's trying to, and then Mane just got there just as he tried to clear the ball. And you can see the head, the face dropping into the gloves. Like already the head is in the hands as he falls to the, as he, like as, as he falls to the ground, he lands with his head in his hands just to show that he knew how bad that was. But I mean, you know, nobody needs that to be explained. I mean, and you do wonder about um, uh, this guy. I mean, I don't think Gavin Bazunu is going to make that mistake either. You know what I mean? Ooh. Um, you know, Mizuno, Man City's number two next season. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of a dilemma, really, isn't it? Like, would you rather be? Would you rather? We're into Queeving Kelleher territory here again. Yeah. Do we want the, the, the our our amazing young goalkeepers to both be substitutes at the two best teams in the world, <laughs> possibly? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Like, I mean, I I think what what Bizzuno is doing in playing the whole time. I mean, he's played forty games this season, and. I think that's got to be good. You know, I think that's that's only good. I know that Quinn Callagher has won a medal and he's played in some higher profile games and he's been in massive penalty shootouts and all this sort of thing. Whereas what, what Bazuna's been doing is more week-to-week league, kind of league one grind. But I still feel as though ultimately that kind of experience is the best way to improve. So probably for his development, I think what he's doing is, is the best thing. But, you know, from City's point of view, they might think, is, is this guy Stefan good enough to be a replacement? I mean, He's cost. He effectively cost them the game. You know, uh, he wasn't the only one. He was the biggest reason why they lost the game. And you know, if you're looking at it, thinking, well, what about that other guy? Maybe he would. You know, if we want to have a good sub- substitute goalkeeper, I mean, what if Ederson gets injured? You know what I mean? So, um, 
City may think to themselves that they might want Bazunu back. I mean, it's an interesting. It's I, I don't know if necessarily City's interests and Bazunu's are completely aligned there, but that's going to be something that's that's that they're going to have to figure out over the over the summer for sure. So is um, I'm getting ahead of myself by suggesting this quadruple could actually happen. I mean, I know that the league is going to be probably the biggest stumbling block because you're waiting for Man City to slip mm. up and they've got Brighton at home for example this <laughs> this week so uh, and then Watford at home so they're not going to slip up anytime soon well you know Brighton just beat Tottenham and they beat Arsenal you know we're, we're going to be talking about Brighton with, um, with Jack and um, and Jonathan you know Brighton have uh, and Brighton obviously got a draw at Anfield earlier this season um, so you know they're not a, they're not like a, I mean you would ex- I mean I think it's only Burnley and and Watford have scored fewer goals than Brighton. Maybe Burnley and Norwich have scored fewer goals than Brighton. So that's obviously the problem. If City score, they're probably going to win. <laughs> but um, but Brighton have kind of demonstrated they're not the they're quite they're a well organized sort of team that aren't necessarily going to give you an easy game. Even though at this point of the season, you would expect that's exactly what they're going to give you a team in their position. You know, they really have nothing to play for. This is the best time of the season to play to play teams in that area. That, I'm sure, is what Arsenal thought as they went out to play and lose against Southampton. Yeah, I'm just sorry that Murph's not here today for the Brighton love-in thing. He's been bashing Graham Potter all season, but listen, mm. we move on. But yeah, I mean, the, is the quadruple realistic? I mean, it's not. It's still not realistic in the sense that you would expect Man City to, to win the league from this position. You know, they've got... They, they've proven so many times that they can... They can do this, you know. To win seven matches in a row in the Premier League is something which they can do. Um, they've they've proved that. They seem to have an easier run of fixtures. Um, at the same time, um, you know, and, and and that's and and they only have to be perfect if Liverpool also are. You know what I mean? And Liverpool themselves have got some difficult games. I mean, the, the Manchester United game tomorrow. I know Ralph Rangnick doesn't think it's a difficult game. You know, we'll um, <laughs> discuss his his scathing comments about his own team. But you know, um, uh, it's it's. I, I don't think you can take it for granted that they're that they're going to to win that or the game against Tottenham. You know, Tottenham who are who are just so schizophrenic. It's the history um, of the Tottenham. Already took points off Liverpool. Did the double over Manchester City. Um, so clearly, a team that has has the capability on their day of of getting results. So. Um, so, so if you're a Liverpool fan now, if you if you're a Liverpool fan now, and I was to offer you, if I was to offer you, Ken, the League Cup, which is already in the bag, the mm. FA Cup, and a Champions League, mm. but I'm sorry, you're not winning the league. You you take that deal. I think, I think that's that would be. Deal. I think that would be a pretty good season. You know, I think that would be a good. Well, season. Like one of the greatest seasons in any club's history. Yeah. I mean, the, the question is whether whether it would be more uh, disappointing, or, or whether it's better to win the league or the Champions League. You know, and in my opinion, it would always be the Champions League. Um, you know, in 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 the situation that they're in now, uh, w- would you rather do the treble of the you know the, the cup treble, as it were, or the um, or the domestic treble, as it would be? I mean, we're we're assuming that Chelsea, who, who <laughs> Chelsea, who also got to the FA Cup final over the weekend, are simply going to cooperate with this. <laughs> but uh, who would you? Um, you know, which is the bigger deal? I still feel the Champions League is. I know that people change. I mean, I saw Roy Keane saying, "Oh no, the, the league," and I thought to myself, "That's very different from what Roy Keane used to say." You know, I mean, didn't he? Uh, Keane definitely in his autobiography, um, the first one, uh, talked about Yap Sam, wasn't it? Oh, you. Um, uh, prior, you know, was it, I think it was Yapstam who's saying, you know, yeah. we prioritize the you we prioritized one trophy, the league. Yeah, you prioritize the trophy, the wrong one. 
So at, at that point, when Keane was still playing for Man United, maybe it was just he, he got he had got blasé about winning the Premier League at that point, but he thought that it was all about the Champions League. I suppose we are talking about a different era of football now, in which when Roy Keane was winning those Premier Leagues, um, you couldn't seriously argue the Premier League was the most difficult football co- was the sort of top football competition in the world. Whereas no, you it, can't it, argue it, that. Yeah, it also depends on the club in question, the fans, what they. W- one specifically I, I I think a lot of people made the same point if Liverpool had won the league in normal circumstances and had had all the joy of parading around front of their fans all that sort of stuff then I, I'd imagine maybe a lot more people would be thinking yeah well we've got that league in now that that's the monkey off the back Champions League is a bigger competition but they would I think they, you get the sense they'd love to win a property not property you know they'd get to, love to celebrate a league win property this season uh, so that's where uh, certainly that, that came into the conversation when Carragher was talking about it with Neville. but Carragher still said Champions League he said I know some Liverpool fans want to win a league and want to see it won at, all, at Anfield and all that sort of stuff but he still thinks Champions League is bigger but well, you know, anyway what a, what, what a, what a lovely privileged position that Liverpool fans are in compared it's to it's also the trophy Karen Benzema wants to win yeah and uh, Benzema, I don't know if you saw it over the weekend, was, was again doing his thing of, of uh, scoring comeback winners. Uh, 92nd minute, I think, winner in the 3-2 comeback against Sevilla, which left the Sevilla players, including Ivan Rakitic, uh, choking on their own vomit uh, with, the, with rage at the referee who didn't send off Camavinga and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, Benzema was there. And 39 goals in 39 games, which is, which is quite good. They're going uh, full Real Madrid at the right time, it sounds a bit so. Yeah, one of these uh, over thirty-year-old players who is um, who is just banging in the goals. I mean, uh, uh, did you see Ronaldo tweeting the stat about himself? He actually joined in the sort of Twitter Ronaldo stat. Yeah, there's, okay. there's all these accounts that just tweet Ronaldo stats and like have massive followings because people love this stuff. And Ronaldo himself is muscling in on this action now. I think now, like, I'm 30, much more humble than you would understand. Thirty goals, thirty hat tricks before the age of thirty. Thirty hat tricks. Since the age of oh, 30 hat tricks before 30 and 30 hat tricks after 30, it's time to unbalance the scale. <laughs> I'm not totally sure what that means. Score another hat trick? Is that what he's saying? Oh, that must be it. 31 hat tricks, yeah. That yeah. must be it, yeah. So if he, if he can bang in another hat trick at Anfield tomorrow night, that would uh, certainly go down as one of the top hat tricks, I think. Well, that would be a big, yeah, that would be a memorable one. That would be a big, that would be a very big one. I mean, how is he doing this? It's pretty crazy. Obviously, every time he does it, people uh, tweet me abusively saying, oh, I suppose, you know. Um, I mean, it, it was, again, a, a tap in, uh, a header from a corner and a free kick. Still, though, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I love the way you'd say a free kick, as though free kicks are easy to score. He never scores free kicks. And I know. unfortunately, he's now going to be emboldened to continue usually to the goal, take the, them. The goalkeeper would usually make a slightly better fist of it, I think, um, than, than was managed by, uh, by Tim Krull. who he could have saved it, but it was a well-struck. I mean, it was well-struck. I mean, maybe that should be, that's what Ronaldo should concentrate on from now on. Just get the ball on target and let the goalkeeper... You know, challenge the goalkeeper to make a simple aura. save. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe the goalkeeper can't do that. Certainly, you've got more chance of doing that than uh, by blasting the ball into the wall or over the crossbar. Uh, to name two uh, possible uh, bad outcomes, uh, there was some disappointment for the man who is almost certain to be Manchester United's next manager, Eric Ten Hag, who uh, whose Ajax team um, were leading PSV one nil. Only to concede goals, Owen, in the 48th and 50th, 50th minutes of the uh, Dutch Cup final. Uh, an emotional goal 
by uh, the second one. Not for the first time, actually, with an Eric Ten Hag team. Because if you think about the uh, famous Tottenham Champions League semi-final, Lucas Moura scored in the 55th and 59th minutes as the emotional young man of Ajax uh, struggled to digest the impact of his uh, first goal. So, um, yeah, um, disappointment for Eric Ten Hag, who now has, I think, one trophy left to win for Ajax before he can... Uh, before he can switch his attention to what's happening at Manchester United. I'm, I'm intrigued as to what their current manager has to say. I know you've been talking to Jack and John about Ryan's quotes, so we'll leave that until a little bit later. Where, where we go next? Brendan Rodgers says here. Well, well, Owen. Um, Newcastle United, obviously, um, has uh, become a fortress again, as we say. Uh, all, of, all the money that was spent in January, suddenly Newcastle can't stop winning at home and so proved again. Bruno Gomares, who is... Uh, who is, you know, emerging as a, as a really good player, uh, a really good player for Newcastle, uh, scoring both goals. It looked as though Leicester were going to win this. At least, you know, they, they started well, scored a nice goal off set piece, have been going well generally, although they did have that European game uh, in their legs, uh, which was more of a problem for some teams than for others. I mean, for instance, Rangers also had 120 minutes against Braga in their legs, but still came back to beat Celtic 2-1 in another 120-minute game <laughs> on, on the Sunday, which was uh, a pretty spectacular semifinal there. But Leicester did run out of energy a bit, and Newcastle scored a 95th minute with Gamara's running almost the length of the pitch to, to score a brilliant diving header. Um, but Rodgers, you might have expected him to be sick as a pig after this one, though. <laughs> But uh, but instead, Rogers was in, was unbelievably magnanimous. He said, "I'm so happy for the supporters here. Uh, it's one of the grounds and cities I've always enjoyed coming to. Newcastle is one of the most iconic clubs in British football. <laughs> it is a special place." And I just thought, "Oh, not no, surely not. Surely you're not actually shilling for this job. Surely that's surely you can't be thinking that far ahead." But then again, you know, you look at it. And uh, Leicester City are uh, not having a great season now. I mean, I know that they did win the FA Cup under Brendan Rodgers, which has got to count for something. You know, that was, uh, that, was, uh, that was an impressive achievement. But Newcastle themselves are actually only three points behind Leicester now, whose season is really sort of petering out. And, uh, and you do wonder if maybe Brendan Rodgers is already starting yeah. to head to the next step. And who wouldn't, uh, who wouldn't want to manage in a club as iconic? Uh, as Newcastle, especially now that they are owned by um, Mohammed bin Salman. Make sure you're not the one in the envelope. Yeah, that's, uh, that was interesting when I thought. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the big thing that happened last weekend, or in the Europa League, rather, was this thing we mentioned briefly. The uh, Barcelona-Eintracht Frankfurt. Oh, yeah, the, the 30,000 Germans descending on the city and taking over the stadium <laughs> and piss, <laughs> pissing off the Xavi and everybody else. We were like, how did this happen? How did, how, did this, uh, how did this happen? I am shocked, shocked to find that there are 30,000 fans who aren't Barcelona season ticket holders who somehow have managed to get tickets for this game. Uh, there was only supposed to be 5,000 fa- uh, 5, tickets sold to the away team, and yet there's 30,000 of them <laughs> in our stadium. What the hell happened? And Xavi's quotes about this were, were sort of funny. Upon leaving the hotel, I immediately realized something was not right. They took everything from us. We felt robbed in our own home. <laughs> it didn't even feel like we were playing at home. Everything went wrong. It was a fateful night in every way. It started and ended badly. Um... I felt unconditional support from Barcelona fans, but the last game was an exception. So, 
I thought, wow, okay, that's, you know, but what what's actually going on? Uh, a Barcelona, one of the Barcelona fan groups um, has actually, I mean, uh, Barcelona said, uh, clearly, the, uh, this is Xavi, clearly the atmosphere didn't help. The club is looking into why this happened. The players want to know why too. It was a clear miscalculation on our part. This cannot be allowed to happen. Uh, Juan Laporta, it's a disgrace what has happened. I felt embarrassed. Ronald Arujo said, I was surprised there were so many people from Frankfurt in the Camp Nou sense. The club should look at this. So what, what actually happened? Yeah. Um, well, we know what happened. Uh, you've been to games at Barcelona, Owen? Yeah. Uh, did you buy, how did you get your ticket? Uh, just online. Just Yeah, just from a reseller? Um, I, can't, I think maybe directly, but yeah, all... all. Fairly, yeah, not 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 that. Well, it's not that hard to get tickets for a Barcelona game as long as they're not playing Real Madrid. Generally, uh, indeed, indeed, uh, because it's a big stadium. Um, the pe- people have seen a lot of uh, great matches, great football, and sometimes you know the game is against uh, I don't know uh, Levante or Getafe or your Eintracht Frankfurts of this world, and people aren't necessarily all that excited about it. And what happens on those occasions is that the season ticket holders, which is most of the stadium, sell their tickets for the day to tourists, which is fine because the tourists are usually there to see Messi. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so it looks as though Barcelona have another uh, full stadium. And everyone's a winner because uh, the, the Barcelona season ticket holders who want to go to just a couple of big games a year and really couldn't be bothered with the, with the little games, can sell the ticket and offset the cost. The club gets to set the prices a lot higher than they would otherwise because they know that the socios, that the actual season ticket holders, in, in most cases, aren't really paying full whack. Oh, yeah, okay. Because they're, because they're, they're, selling, all the, they're selling the sort of inferior tickets to, um, to tourists uh, most of the time. Uh, everyone's a winner, you know, including even the tourists who sure are paying over the odds, but at least they get to see Messi or, well, I mean, the business model is, is, is changing now somewhat. At least they get to see Frankie de Jong. Um, uh, until suddenly something like this happens. A club like Eintracht Frankfurt turns up. Uh, this is uh, actually a club with a lot of supporters who would be interested in seeing their team play a Europa League quarterfinal at the Camp Nou because this is one of the biggest games they've been involved in for ages. And suddenly 30,000 of them show up uh, and your club, your club is exposed as a sham. <laughs> your, your club is exposed as like just this collection of people who are just making money off the, off the back of, uh, of the, the club's global reputation. And it's a massive embarrassment. Um, I mean, obviously, they, they got knocked out. Uh, but it seems like this, the, the actual site of their stadium being completely occupied by Frankfurt fans has created more of a... It does. It seems to have spooked them massively, yeah. Well, the, the, so there was a fa- there's a fan group called Grada Danimacio, which I think means like the animated stand or like the, you know, the singing section, let's say, uh, who have put out a state, uh, put out a state, a statement. <laughs> they put out a statement saying, Thursday, on Thursday we live today, they will always be marked forever as the greatest infamy that happened in our home. Um, the greatest infamy, like the attack on Pearl Harbor, the day, of it, the day that we'll live in infamy. As FC Barcelona fans and members, we've experienced many victories and many defeats. As a fan, we've experienced a social humiliation that we will never be able to forget. 
Um, so this is uh, the perversion of the seat system promoted by the club has been a trend facilitating access to tourists and opposing fans through a pricing policy unbearable for the Catalan public in Catalonia. But the events of the season, the, the, this season, exceed any last and necessarily endanger the social mass of Barcelona. They go on to talk about how dangerous it was. And we're lucky that basically the Eintracht Frankfurt fans are, are peaceful. You know, who knows where we could have been with a different group of fans? As though, like, we could have had 30,000 savages in here who would have beaten us, and we would have had, like, you know, the hospitals would have been crammed, but, like, <laughs> which seems like I'm, I'm not sure that was ever necessarily on the cards. Um, but yeah, everyone is shocked and, and appalled to, to see that ticket reselling has apparently been going on. And I just wonder what they're going to do about it, given that it is a system that uh, seems to suit almost everybody involved so very so very much until something extraordinary like Eintracht Frankfurt coming to town uh, suddenly happens to expose the uh, expose the workings of, of this comfortable little system. Beetroot soup? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, yeah? It was incredible. And you know what I'm going to have today? More soup. 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 Half an hour to make a soup. And then they have cans of soup. Half an hour, ten siblings. What does it look like? A turtle, is it? Well, we're joined now by John Bruin and Jack Pitt-Brook. Jack, I'll start with you. Did Pep Guardiola mess this one up? I think he messed it up by playing Stefan over Edison. Um, I think the the changes he made in outfield, the outfield positions were probably forced upon him by the schedule. You know, I think Guardiola is generally pretty good when it comes to balancing out the game time to make sure that players don't get injured and everybody is more or less fit for the biggest game of the season, even if it's frustrating in the moment. You know, if I always think about how, you know, he famously didn't pick Kevin De Bruyne for the first leg against uh, Tottenham Hotspur in the quarterfinals in 2019, uh, a game which City, City lost 1-0. Everyone was very annoyed about it, but De Bruyne played all the remaining league games, I think, and City won the title. So those are the kind of trade-offs I think Guardiola's good at. And they made sense in this game, except for, I do... It is kind of crazy when you've got the best ball-playing goalkeeper in the world not to play him against the best pressing team in the world. You know, we all know how good Edison is under in, under pressure in those moments. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's inconceivable that he would have been robbed in the way that Zach Steffen was for that crucial second goal. So that's probably how I see it. Yeah, I, I think it was um, your colleague uh, Sam Lee at The Athletic who who wrote a piece about uh, uh, entitled why Pep, Guardiola, why Pep Guardiola rotated his Man City squad and why he was right to do so, which included the line, had Guardiola dropped Stefan, the normal cup goalkeeper for a big game, what kind of message would that send to him? Which I immediately wondered, who cares? Who cares what message it sends to Zach Stefan? I mean, this is, a, this is an FA Cup semi-final uh, against your main rival, you got to pick your you got to pick your best goalkeeper with this. Yeah, I don't really I don't really understand why it's become more popular in the last sort of maybe 5 years to have a a cup goalkeeper and a league goalkeeper as two separate roles. You know, it's not like except the goalkeeping must be tiring especially mentally, but I don't see I don't know, I don't see the need I don't see the need to do it like no. Tottenham have got themselves in a mess in recent years with you know playing Michel Vorm in big games or even Gallini in the League Cup semi final against Chelsea a few months ago. Um, so no, I don't I don't really understand why they do that. I think this is a fantastic example of why it's not a good idea. Uh, John, the 
it, we, we are obviously reaching the point where you know um, the schedule, as Jack said, is is dictating a lot of the selections. And you, and I think in the last you know the the closing stage of that match yesterday, you could see that uh, the players were really tired. You know, it was um, not not yes, sorry, the the match on Saturday I'm talking about, um, and the t- you know the the teams have just got so many games and more games um, this midweek and so on. Um, but Liverpool in the first half seemed to have a lot of energy. And I'm wondering if the difference between these sides at this point is that Liverpool, um, contrary to sort of conventional wisdom, now have a stronger squad than Manchester City. I mean, I, I'm, you know, it's not as though they didn't make changes. They dropped to Matip, who's, you know, a first-choice defender. They dropped a captain. Um, they dropped Jota, who's the second-top goal scorer um, at the club. And the replacements were all just as good. Whereas in Man City's case, there was actually there was a there was a drop off. You know, you you play Zinchenko, you play Aka. They're not as good as the players that they're and Stefan obviously they're not they're not as good as the players they're replacing. Liverpool have have built an absolute monster of a squad here. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I wrote a short piece for the for the Guardian overnight about that about how um, you know, think back to Liverpool's great era from the seventies and eighties. What they used to do was buy one or two players at the end of the season or midway through seasons you could do then and just slowly evolve and supplant the players that you've got in the team to make the team stronger or just as strong. And that appears to be what they've done now. Uh, I mean, you've got Kunate, who suddenly looks about as dominant in the air as you can find as a defender. Um, Thiago, a player that I wouldn't, wouldn't have been the greatest fan of, has suddenly started finding his place in... Uh, midfield, you've got uh, Jota. Why, why, why would you not be the greatest fan of Thiago, John? Has there ever been a player who has been more? Is this just is this just you being a, a contrarian? Because has has there literally has there ever been a player who has been more hailed for his genius in midfield than than Thiago since kind of almost day one? Yeah, but I did, I I always thought that it, it was a little bit overblown, and I I thought that he didn't offer what Jurgen Klopp needs from his team, which is you know, speed, pressing, um, you know, always on the throttle. He wasn't that type of player. Maybe he's learned that way. I mean, he's, you know, it's 30. It's a old dog's new tricks thing. But to continue my uh, high praise of Liverpool's recruitment, <laughs> uh, you've, you've got you know, Diogo Jota, you've got Luis Diaz, you've got players like that. And then City... They paid a hundred million for for Jack Grealish. Now, what does that say? I mean, it says that even if you've got a, if you've got a lot of money, you can be wasting it. Um, and and actually thinking about this team selection and the selection of Stefan and uh, selection of players like Zinchenko, um, I know we're not allowed to compare these rivalries anymore, but I'm going to do it. Remember back in the United Arsenal days, um, you know that those golden that golden era. What used to happen there in, in matches like this, semi-finals in particular, is that both Wenger and Ferguson did pull punches because it's almost as if you don't want your best team to lose that match. So I remember, um, in fact, the greatest game of all time ever, uh, mm. the semi-final in 1999, the replay. Yeah. The United strike partnership that day was Teddy Sheringham and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And Giggs was on and, the bench because you know they were looking after his hamstrings. Yeah, exactly. And then I think five years after that, uh, when Arsenal were going for... A treble at that time, the invincible season, Thierry Henry starts on the bench. And I do think that occasionally when you have these series of matches between those big teams, managers will think, I don't want to see my you know best team lose to their best team. 
and they might pull punches. Now, as Jack said, actually, um, if you've played you know, two bruising encounters with Atletico, your team are going to be tired. Um, and I think City have shown that Pep is able to move players in and out of the team. But the Stefan selection, when you consider that um, until the Forest stage of the of the FA Cup, um, Kelleher was playing goals for um, for Liverpool, and then when City turn up at Wembley, they're up against Allison, the other best ball playing goalkeeper in the league, um, and you know it, at that point you begin to think, well, Liverpool have got this. Yeah, yeah. Just on the on the one of the players there mentioned by John Jack at the uh, your namesake, of course, uh, Mr. Grealish, uh, did score. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have played the game if. Um, if Kim De Bruyne hadn't been, you know, kind of injured or semi-injured, um, he did actually manage to get in and and play a big game. Have you been surprised at how little he's featured in this uh, in this kind of defining run at this point of the season? Um, no, I haven't been that surprised. Just because I think it's kind of consistent with his performances recently, which have been he doesn't fully look up to speed with what City are trying to do. I think that, what, I think, what do you think is going? What do you think is going on? Like, why? Well, how can he not be able to speak? Greenish gave a really interesting interview a few months ago, where he, I can't remember the exact words, but he said something along the lines of, um, "I thought, you know, I thought when I came here, I'd be getting the ball all the time, and and it would be great, but it's not like that. I think it's just that adjustment from being, you know, the best and only player really on the team, like he was at Villa." To, to being a cog in a machine who only gets the ball in very specific circumstances and then has very specific instructions with what to do with it yeah, is just yeah. a big change for him. But I also think Grealish is a really good example of what you and John were talking about a minute ago, which is that sense that he he represents why it feels as if the City squad is getting smaller. You know, I think City have only really got about eight or nine players who clearly Pep loves. You know, I mean, their names are obvious. Diaz, Rodri, Laporte, Cancelo, De Bruyne, etc. And then there's a second group of about seven or eight players who play in the team, but he's clearly, for for whatever reason, are not doing so well, whether it's Jesus, Grealish, Mahrez, Sterling, Fernandinho, Gundogan. Sinchenko, etc. <laughs> you've named you've named a lot of really top players. Yeah, they are good players, but they're Mara's not. Mara's going to go like these are. They're not, you know, the, guys. they're either guys who are getting probably past their peak, like Fernandinho and Gundogan, or they're guys who City tried to get rid of in the past and couldn't, like Mares or Sterling, or whose futures are at this, the club are unclear, like or who, are, you know, are very much in and out of the team, like Stone. So, I think Grealish, the fact that Grealish hasn't been able to come in and be a Foden level player, which is I think really what you have to get if you're going to pay hundred million pounds, is why he he now represents that feeling that City don't really have as many options because you never really feel with Klopp like he's picking players he doesn't want to pick. Yet with City, there's always two or three guys who you know that Guardiola's not fully sold on. Hmm. I don't know if you would have seen the interview that he did before this game. Actually, there was an interview with him on the uh, the build up where. Um, he said something I thought was interesting. He 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 was kind of talking about like the the awkward uh, matter of his you know numbers uh, was broached uh, you know sensitively by the interviewer. Um, wasn't like she really wanted to rub his nose in it, but it sounded like you know it was it was sort of like yeah you know three goals and three assists it's not, it's not great you know. And uh, he started talking about how he'd been speaking to the city coaches 
And he, <laughs> what was it? he said, like, yeah, you know, they've been talking about figures like expected assists, you know, which is where, you know, you kind of put it on a plate for someone, but they don't score. And, you know, I've been doing kind of well in that. <laughs> First of all, I'm sort of surprised that you said that because it does. It, I mean, it, it sounds as though you're saying, well, it's actually their fault, not mine. But uh, but secondly, just that if those types of conversations are happening, it suggests there might be a little bit of a behind the scenes crisis of confidence going on with this guy. Yeah, it must be tough. It must be tough going from being being the big star. I mean, I couldn't think of a more... There wasn't a more one-man team than Grealish's Villa over the last few seasons to now being, um, you know, not just not just a kind of small cog in a big picture, but also a, a sort of overpriced small cog in a big in a big thing, which probably feels... which probably makes it harder for him. Um, and, and it might be, you know, Riyad Mahrez, for example, looked like this in his first year or so at City and then became really good. So he might be like that. On the other hand, it might be like when Guardiola signed Alexis Sanchez for Barcelona and he never really clicked because he was always too much an individualist who wanted to do everything by himself. So I don't know if you'll turn into an Alexis or a Mahrez, but um, I've, you know, I'm, not, I'm not that confident about it. Okay. Well, uh, this week, there are both these teams just right back into it in the Premier League and the first of those games is at Anfield Liverpool against Manchester United John and I have to say I can't remember ever seeing a manager who was so critical of his own team and so complimentary about the opponents as Ralph Rangnick is Man <laughs> United and Liverpool he said after the after the United game this is this is United winning 3-2 against Norwich with another hat-trick by Ronaldo I mean who, who we can talk about uh, but he said, if you look at the goals we conceded, especially the first one, we were just not physical enough. As soon as there's body contact, we have to be more physical, more aggressive. But we weren't. It was too easy. We are probably the only team in the league who concedes goals like this, he said. He then goes on to praise Liverpool and talk about how he used to manage half their players uh, at very <laughs> Schalke and Leipzig. And I thought, this is, oh, okay, I know what he expects is going to happen uh, at Anfield tomorrow night. What do you think is going to happen there? Liverpool are going to win, aren't they? Um, <laughs> simple as that. Um, the the Ranić thing is now turning into a, 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 a. It's becoming farcical, isn't it? I mean, this guy is a is a spare part. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, it's a spare part. He's completely detached from the team he's supposed to be managing. I mean, I, I, I've had this this long held theory about. He, he really is. It's like yeah. he's, he's sort of commenting on them like a quite a scathing blunder. <laughs> it's like it's like if they got him on next season after he'd sort of severed his ties. This is the kind of thing I might expect him to be saying. But he's actually still the manager. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I wrote a piece for, for Jonathan Wilson at the Blizzard a, a few years ago about how. Uh, what happens to many Manchester United managers, apart from Alex Ferguson and Matt Busby, is that they just become the most isolated figures from the club. There seems to be something about that club. Maybe it's what goes on in every club, but it's the club I know best. Um, and Ranić has, has taken it to the absolute nth degree. He's an isolated figure. He appears friendless in the market. No one really cares what he's doing there. He supposedly got this cons- consultancy role to 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 uh, to follow. Uh, but it, it appears from the information that's out there, from what I understand, from what Miguel has written, uh, that Rannick played no part in this supposed recruitment of Eric Ten Hag. Um, and you've just got this guy that's sort of husbanding the team to the end of the season. It seems to think all the players are rubbish. Now, he wouldn't be far wrong in that. Um seems to prefer the players of other teams. Uh, as as you said, those quotes on Liverpool were 
hilarious. It's like, well, actually, you know, Klopp's building... Six or seven of those players used to be my players. <laughs> yeah, totally we amazing. signed them for our clubs when nobody knew them. And he's talking about guys like Keita and Mane and Konate and Minamino. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, my part in, in Liverpool's triumph by a Manchester United manager. Now, you don't often hear that, do you? Um, now, you know, the thing is, Ranjik... Um, in future years, when we, you know, with the Premier League years comes on, you will look and think, "Who's that guy?" Oh, that's Ralph Rangnick. He managed it's Manchester. Godfather of pressing. Yeah, he but he managed Manchester United for six months, didn't he? And he made absolutely zero impression, apart from being that guy that everyone forgot as a, as a spare part because. He, he he has been unable to effect much of a change for Manchester United. It's funny that <laughs> it, it, the reason Manchester United beat Norwich is because Ronaldo decided to do a Ronaldo. Uh, just, yeah, and it, it, which which has nothing to do with Ralph Rangnick, by the way. It's just it's just what Cristiano Ronaldo can do. So, well, tell, tell me, you mentioned Ronaldo. Like this is unbelievable what he's doing. Like so, so he's now scored more hat tricks in the second spell at the club than he did in the first. Yeah, he's he's done it in consecutive home matches. Um, he is single handedly keeping this Champions League. I can't believe it's still alive, but it is. Yeah, because it's still it's like I mean, every time we we assume that that's it, it's all over. Tottenham and Arsenal lose, and Manchester and Ronaldo scores a hat trick. Um, I mean, and and I hope we can we have time to have a quick chat about Spurs and Arsenal and what they're what they've been doing. But like, where you know, what, where do you see this Ronaldo thing at now? I mean, he is supposed to be there next season as well. Though I see there's reports, you know, Ten Hag doesn't want him there. And then you know, I've obviously been involved in this. Um, you know, people continually tweet me every time Ronaldo scores a goal, saying. See, you know, I suppose this guy is the problem. You know, it's not just me; it's be- it's become a major yeah. narrative around around the club. What is your opinion about this? I mean, is 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 Ronaldo actually the best thing about this team at the moment? Is that is that the sad reality? Well, that's not the highest accolade, is it? Really? I mean, this is the <laughs> when we talk about the strength of the Premier League, the fact that this team has a chance of making it into the top four. What does that say about the league beyond the top two? Not a great deal, really. Oh, they are. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of investment gone into this team. You could say. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's not a team. It's a group no. of individuals, and uh, if if there are, has been a greater individual in the in football itself than Cristiano Ronaldo. I'd like to know who that is. Um, he can still do this. Uh, whether that's uh, whether that's to do anything with it, it's nothing to do with the team. It's an individual who's still capable of doing this from time to time against Norwich, who, let's be fair, are the worst team in the league. So Or Tottenham. Tottenham, who are, let's be fair, the the main rival who, for the... Uh... But that that is the story of the Tottenham. Uh, <laughs> so, it's, it's Listen, this is Ronaldo. This is what he does. This is why, this is the end, you know, this is why the, the, the flame keeps burning. He's not a good footballer, really, anymore, but he's a good goal scorer. Yeah. Jack, what do you think? Is, is, is Ronaldo pulling the wool over everyone's eyes? Well, United, uh, what, last season United came second with 74 points. And as it stands, yeah. they're, what, they're fifth. And they're probably on track to get 64 points. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not clear to me that he's made them better. No. Um, I've certainly always been on the Wilson side of the argument on this. Although I realise that that does seem slightly more silly uh, every time he bangs in the The more hat tricks he scores. Yeah. Um, but... You know, and the uh, the hatchery against Tottenham was a case in point, but 
But I do. I my my view on this has always been that last year at least United had a had a plan and identity. It wasn't very good, but Solskjaer had an idea about how he wanted the team to play, and yet now that's just been um, you know all collapsed around Ronaldo really, and that's as far as the and that is as far as any kind of plan goes this season. Well, they don't have a, they don't have a manager now. That's the thing. They just have this no, guy. No, not. They've just got this guy <laughs> yeah. sat there. This guy that talks at them, and they don't listen to. You know, well, maybe he, he he motivates them a little bit to to show that guy their manager. Yeah, you know, who, whoever who, who, who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, the, the fact is, there's three points off uh, Tottenham with six games to go. Arsenal are level on points with Manchester United, but have a game in hand, which is against Chelsea, I suppose. I mean, Arsenal playing Chelsea this week now. I know that you were you went to see Tottenham this weekend, uh, John. You saw them lose to Brighton. Yeah. How did they manage that? Uh, well, they lost to the better team, frankly. Uh, Brighton, Graham Potter, a, a manager I've praised on here a few times, just knew what to do against Tottenham. Um, and it was a straight, it was a very under-amped performance from Tottenham, I should say, including, in fact, from Antonio, Antonio Conte, who, who appeared for Conte almost submissive to the fact that Brighton had um, got the better of his team, Um well, he, didn't have, he didn't have Matt Doherty, his lion. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's you know. So that supply line was gone. Uh, Reguilon didn't have a very good game, put uh, in his in in Doherty's um, uh, place. Um, Harry Kane saw next to nothing of the ball. Sun was very very quiet. Brighton closed it all off, and yeah, and, and the goal by Trossard was very well taken after a mistake. Um, listen, Tottenham, perhaps got a little overexcited uh, in the way that Tottenham do. Jack obviously sees a lot more of Tottenham than I do, but um, it appears that a manager like Graham Potter was able to look at Tottenham and see where he could get at them, and he did just that job. Mm. Uh, they're playing City this week, uh, Brighton, that is. Oh, I, I was struck by, how, by Brighton's celebrations of this, because Brighton don't really have... I mean, they don't have much to play for. You know, they're in 10th. They're sort of nine points off 8th. You know, this is a classic sort of we we're on the beach type of situation, and they were celebrating uh, at Tottenham as though it was a really big result. Do you think this is a team that can that can now put it up to Man City on Wednesday? Probably not. I mean, uh, let, let's. Be why, fair. why do you why do you think they were so? I think. Well, listen, they won last week. Yeah, you know, they beat Arsenal the previous week, didn't they? Um, and I think they've received a lot of criticism. I mean, the statistic was that the two goals they scored at Arsenal were three of... Were, they've only scored three in their previous eight Premier League games. They've obviously had a problem scoring goals. Graham Potter's repeated this mantra that they've been playing well. And actually, in any game I've seen them play this season, they have played well. I mean, they played Tottenham previously in the FA Cup and played very well in that game and lost because... Tottenham were able to turn on the attacking afterburners and win. I, I, I just think that, that Brighton think that they've probably not got enough credit for playing as well as they have. Haven't been able to score. I mean, Danny Welbeck came on at half-time, did what Danny Welbeck does, you know, created real problems for uh, the, the opposite defence and then shanks a shot that went off for a throw-in. That's, you know, this is the story of the Welbeck. Um, but having said that, he played a part in the goal that, that, that Trossard scored. They've got good players. I think actually, just thinking ahead, Trossard's a player that I was reading about that is linked with Newcastle. I think if, I think what a problem that a club like Brighton have got is that 
a, a, a magpie club, uh, if a pun intended, like Newcastle, can look at someone like Brighton and start picking off their better players as they try to move up the league. And that's that's the issue that Brighton may have. They've got a good manager, they've got good players, good recruitment. If they had a forward, they'd be really good. Will they beat Manchester City? No. Hmm. Well, um, the one uh, question here uh, that I have remaining, Jack, is, is which way do you see this sort of three-way tussle is going now? Because Tottenham arguably are still in the best position just because they've actually got the points. Um, Arsenal could equalize, uh, could could um, pull level with them, except for the fact that Arsenal just lose now. That's what Arsenal do now. Um, I mean, you know, just like uh, a month ago, Arsenal had won five on the bounce in the Premier League. Um, you know, Arteta had cracked it. Uh, it was all like they were cruising into fourth place. They have lost four out of five games since then, completely ground to a halt. Do you have any explanation for what has just happened to them? <laughs> no, I don't actually. Um, I thought I really thought they'd cracked it. I really thought Arsenal had cracked it, um, and that they they were starting to. They basically reminded me so much of. Pochettino's second season at Tottenham, where suddenly you know he'd get rid of the players who, he had got rid of the players who didn't believe in him. He'd brought in young players who did. He's got this slightly slightly overbearing uh, my it's my way or get out demeanor. Uh, but the players looked like they internalized his style of play and it was clicking. Uh, and that was I felt I felt that really strongly watching Arsenal over the last few months. And now it feels like they're, you know, they've completely lost that. Like their heads have gone, and it's it's been very, you know, it's been reminiscent of uh, many of the great Arsenal like March April collapses over the last sort of ten, twelve years, which seem to happen at least every other season, if not more. I think Tottenham will get it just because they're the best team. They've got by far the best manager. Uh, but I have to say, I thought that you know their defeat to Brighton, I did not see coming. They've been playing really well up until then. I don't know whether that's going to be a one-off or indicative of some sort of slightly deeper-rooted problems. They are, they, it is very hard for them without Matt Doherty now because Emerson Royale is not not a high-quality player, and the two guy, the two conventional left wing backs they've got are you know, injured a bit too often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Tottenham will scrape it. But weirdly, I think that they will they will now be desperate for the season to end as soon as possible. Yeah, well, another interesting thing is that they've all got to play each other more or less, and Tottenham have to play Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal have to play Manchester United next weekend. They got to play Chelsea this week. Uh, before any of that happens, so very briefly before I let you go, uh, a one-word answer: Which of the three teams do you think we'll get it first, John? Ronaldo. <laughs> Ronaldo, and you've already said Tottenham, Jack. So okay, uh, that's it. Thanks a million for talking to us on the show today. We've got that bit better quality. I'm just going to make it count. It might be a knob end. Is it too much to ask? In 91st minute, that wins it. So basically, like, the only chance you train. I don't know, Roy said something under his breath about Johnny or something. You're always on the team until never fuck. Roy is Roy, isn't he? I'm sure there's lessons to be learned by everybody. And Harry was just going, Roy, I'm not speaking to you like this, like, you know, I'm not listening to you. When I got the sack at Sheffield United, the, the only guy that spoke to me was Roy Keane. I'll never forget that. And I thought that was a bit of class. We've got that bit better quality, and we're just going to make it count. You can't be It might be a knob end in 91st minute that wins it. All right, so we've got Liverpool, Manchester United on Tuesday night. 
Chelsea, Arsenal, who you were just talking about there with the boys, Ken. Um, Arsenal, that is. Mm. That's on Wednesday. <sighs> it does feel like it's. It does feel like it's similar to. Was it last season when uh, nobody really wanted to grasp this race for fourth and just go and win enough matches to get there? And uh, yeah. definitely Arsenal looked like. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if away to Chelsea is the match they want right now to arrest that slide. But then I did think the match against Southampton at home was exactly, or Southampton away was exactly the type of fixture that they did want to arrest the slide. And of course, I mean Southampton just lost six nil to Chelsea. You know, like you, you, you're playing a team that's in the table. Maybe you know it would be better if they hadn't lost six nil. Maybe it would have been better if it had only been a normal sort of a two nil. Maybe the six nil was, was too it much. It would have been a clear the air meeting afterwards. All that, yeah, it's just too monumental for them not to bounce back from. But it's still just, yeah. you know, it's Southampton, lads. It's, it's, lads, it's, yeah. And now, well, you know, okay, but the thing is that, that you look at their, their recent games, I mean, Palace, Brighton and Southampton have beaten Arsenal in three games in a row. Now, you'd have expected Arsenal to win all those games and it didn't happen. You know, they got trounced by Palace then losing to Brighton and and uh, and Southampton, so maybe I don't know Chelsea, Man United, and West Ham, which is their next three games, and more of the sort of games Arsenal feel comfortable playing. You know, uh, this it's is it. It's all in line. It's turning blood. At least at the at the end of this week, we should have a much better idea of who is actually going to make it because it's not a case of everyone can't lose when you're playing. You know, when the teams involved are playing each other, you simply can't have. You know, well, I suppose they, there's still a chance for them to draw and you know postpone the reckoning uh, for another week. But yeah, it's uh, it's still in Arsenal's hands if only they can um, can uh, figure out what they're uh, what they're trying to do. It's nicely set up for during the week. We will obviously have loads of coverage of the Premier League, Shane and Trimble tomorrow, as I mentioned. GA Championship coverage during the week as well. So there's lots going on. You can become a member at secondcaptains.com. And for those of you who are members forward to chatting to you tomorrow thanks Ken enjoy the rest of your bank holiday thank you too thanks for listening what's going on is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those those boys it is not war and death and famine it's not that at all it's the opposite of that it's to persuade the world outside of that that's why sports is important 